welcome to the first episode of the UFO and Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Rick Black, and in this podcast, we will explore the subject of, well, UFOs and aliens. I'm going to start with my own personal experience. When I was a kid, about 11 or 12, I had a group of friends that lived at the other end of the street from where my house was. I would spend most of my time there during the summers and after school. We would play kickball or hide-and-seek or throw a football or a frisbee. One particular day, it was a Friday, and I think it was just me and Susan, although there could have been more friends there. It was a long time ago. We were in the middle of the street, and we looked up and we saw a craft in the sky. I'd never seen anything like it. So we were trying to figure out what it was. What I remember most about it is that it had square lights going around it. Each light was a different color, and not just the red and green and white lights you see on conventional aircraft. It was moving slowly and made no sound. My thoughts went rationally to trying to figure it out. We lived near two Navy bases and about a mile from a small airport. Susan went into her house to ask her dad to come out and look at it and tell us what it was. After a few minutes, she came out and told me that he didn't want to come out, so vent over. I assume we went back to doing what we were doing before we saw it. Reflecting back on it now, I've never seen anything remotely like it since. So I definitely saw a UFO. That is, it was an unidentified flying object. UFO does not mean flying saucer from outer space, but back then it carried that guise. I didn't think much about it back then, but now I would really like to know what I saw that day. What if it was a craft from a different planet? I'm going to have a little thought experiment. Before I begin, I want you to know that I am not a scientist or an expert in any way when it comes to science. So if I say something that is totally wrong, I apologize, and you can correct me if you wish. When you think about our planet being a tiny part of the solar system, and the solar system being a tiny part of our galaxy, which is a tiny part of the universe, it is very humbling. I've heard more than one person state that it is arrogant to think that we are the only intelligent beings in the universe. I kind of have to agree with that statement. There are so many stars out there, it is impossible to count them, but consider this. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, has several billion stars. There must be other intelligent life out there. But are they coming here? So what is the closest planet to Earth? The answer to that is more complicated than it seems on the surface. Because the planets are all orbiting the sun at different rates and in elliptical orbits. Sometimes it's Venus, sometimes it's Mercury, sometimes it's Mars. So instead we will look at how far each planet is from the sun. That would be more consistent. Mercury is 32 uh, million miles from the sun. Venus is 66 million miles from the sun. Earth is 93 million. And Mars is 154 million. These are the rocky planets. In the 40s and 50s, we didn't know too much about these planets. So it was plausible to people from the 40s and 50s that we could be getting visitors from these planets. Now we know that the conditions on these planets, all except the Earth, of course, are too hostile for life. So intelligent life is probably not coming from these planets. But maybe if you go back far enough, the conditions on these rocky bodies were much more different, and maybe they did host life. The outer planets, or the gas giants, are much further from the sun, and life as we know it would not flourish there. Jupiter and Saturn have moons that we think could possibly contain life, but not on the level of highly advanced life that could make machines that could travel the Earth. So it's not likely that we are being visited by beings from our own solar system. We'll have to look out further. Consider Proxima Centauri. 
the closest star to our planet besides the sun. It is 4.3 light years away. That is about 25 trillion 300 billion miles or 39 trillion 900 billion kilometers. A car traveling 60 miles per hour would take more than 48 million years to reach it. But they're not coming here in a Volkswagen. If you're traveling in a vehicle at the speed of sound, it would take you roughly 3,800,168 years. Now, the fastest vehicle ever made by man is the unmanned HTV-2, or Hypersonic Technology Vehicle 2, and it flew at an astonishing Mach 20, or 13,201 miles per hour. It would take that vehicle 218,781 years to reach Proxima Centauri. Even a vehicle traveling at the speed of light would take 4.3 years, the closest star. So considering the lifespan of life here on Earth as a model, an alien race traveling in the conventional way would never be able to reach us. So it would be their offspring, or their offspring's offspring, or however many generations it would take. More likely, they would be send drones or androids, robots, which may explain how some of the UFOs can move in ways that would crush a human being if he or she was inside. That actually makes sense. We've actually sent out probes into space. So, if visitors are coming from a planet in our own galaxy, they're coming a long way. If an alien race is, say, a thousand years ahead of us, they would have technology that we can't even imagine. Just think what man has been able to do in the last 50 years. I have more computing power in my pocket than the Saturn V rocket that took men to the moon. So what if they are a million years ahead of us? There are stars older than our sun. The oldest one that we know of is the Methuselah star, and it's about 10 billion billion years older than our sun. If one of these stars that's billions of years older than our sun has a planet or planets in the Goldilocks zone that's just right and can support life, I can't even imagine what technology they would have. This is where the ancient alien theory comes in. If there is intelligent life, say, one billion years ahead of us, it would be plausible that they could come here in our earliest development and influence us, change us through DNA, help build the ancient structures that have us scratching our heads. What if they're coming from another galaxy? There are several dwarf galaxies orbiting the Milky Way, and they started about 160,000 light years away. The closest complete galaxy to ours is the Andromeda Galaxy. You can actually see it with your naked eye. You can see it even better with the pair of binoculars if you know where to look. It looks like a fuzzy football. But what you're actually looking at is a galaxy with a trillion stars, 200,000 light years across. It is roughly two and a half million light years away. You're not looking at the Andromeda galaxy today. You're actually looking at what it looked like two and a half million years ago. Are visitors coming from there? Some astronomers say that there are between 100 and 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Other astronomers say there are 2 trillion galaxies. The bottom line is there are a lot of galaxies, and in those galaxies there are a lot of stars. April 1, 2023, astronomers have confirmed that there are 3,943 stars that have exoplanets. That is simply a planet that orbits a star and 855 stars that have at least two planets. 
That's a lot of planets. That's just what they've confirmed. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there's probably a lot more than that. With all these stars and planets, the possibility of life outside our planet has to be 100%. But until we have solid evidence, no one will say that. Now let's discuss how they're getting here. It doesn't seem plausible that we are being visited by beings that are traveling in the conventional way. It is more likely that our visitors are traveling in ways that we haven't figured out, like wormholes, interdimensionally, time traveling, or maybe they're already here and have always been here. There are theories of underground bases, underwater bases, and even the theory that the earth is hollow and has a little sun in the center. They are seen coming out of mountains and out of oceans. Again, we don't have proof. We don't have a smoking gun or great footage. We do have testimony. You can believe them if you want, but you don't have to. Personally, I need a little more. There's an old saying, don't believe anything you hear and half of what you read. I'm not sure if that's exactly the way it goes, but it's kind of like that. Okay, moving on. Let's say that whatever means they're using, they're here. What are they doing here? What do they want? Are they just watching? Are they trying to guide us? Are they waiting for something? And if so, what are they waiting for? People have been seeing strange things in the sky as far back as recorded human history. There are petroglyphs that could be interpreted as being aliens and spacecraft. There are many sightings that are recorded in the Bible. There are paintings from the earliest times with actual flying saucers painted into them. There's a broadsheet news article printed in 1561 that describes a battle in the skies over Nuremberg. In modern times, pilots from World War II reported seeing what they called Foo Fighters. Then everyone knows about the UFO crash at Roswell, sightings of giant triangle-shaped UFOs flying over Texas, the Phoenix Lights, the Pentagon releasing three videos of UFOs recorded by Navy pilots, or they use the term UAPs, the first reported abduction case, Betty and Barney Hill, Travis Walton abduction, made a movie out of that one, cattle mutilations, crop circles, Valiant Thor, the Venusian who came to Earth and was working with our government. There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm going to start episode two with cattle mutilation. Okay, so do you believe life out there is coming here? Do you personally have a UFO story? Let me know. You can email me at ufoandalienpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Rick Black, and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>